0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.
1: Today's gospel is from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did, and heard the the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read "Out out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection.
0: Gracious God, we come to you now, in this moment of silence and reflection, amidst lives that move so rapidly, we go from one thing to the next, one goal from to the next, one worry, one concern to the next, and we're exhausted. We're driven and yet we're anxious we have affluence and comfort and entertainment and we get easily lost and so in this moment we pray that you would break through all the static all the confusion and you would fill us with your spirit teach us to listen to your voice that says I know you and I love you I call you my own help us to see that In the midst of all the beauty and the tragedy of our lives in this world, your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And give us the grace to receive that love and reflect it out into this world, not only so that our lives would be transformed, but so that the world would be renewed. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, if you've ever seen my car, you will know it's not much to look at, but it sure is fun to drive. I have a 10-year-old little electric Nissan Leaf that is sky blue. And it goes zero to 30 real fast, as electric cars do. So I was a bit surprised and elated earlier this week after finishing my sunrise swim in La Jolla Cove. I was coming back through Mission Beach, and there was a bright green convertible McLaren right behind me. This is a $300,000 vehicle. And it was going fast. And, and Mission Beach, that, that road, is just one lane and then it goes into two lanes for a stop sign. And then the two lanes come back to one and it goes on. And so I pulled into the right lane and just waited for this car to pull up. I have my window down and as the car pulls up I see that it's a woman, probably one or two generations ahead of me, and she is ha- she's living her best life. She is having a very good day. And I have my window down and she just turns to me and she says, you wanna go? <laughs> and I said, I said something like, I was born ready, let's do this. And so uh, what happened next was in 2.9 seconds, I was able to see the difference between a $300,000 sports car and my $5,000 Nissan Leaf. And I have a really nice photo of her taking off into the distance. But there was something in like this, the little boyish, Part of me where, like, I used to have the posters of cars on my wall, and when a car would go by, I'd stop and my jaw would drop. And, I, and you know, maybe, it's, maybe cars aren't your thing, but a good sunset will captivate your attention like that when you're driving and you have to pull over to admire it. Or for surfers, sometimes it's a beautiful wave, a perfect wave where you stop and you say, look at the formation of that or maybe it's the presence of someone that you really love that just captivates you. There's something in the human heart that when it sees something that's captivating, has to stop and be in awe, to give it that respect. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem in our story and everyone stops what they're doing. Wherever they were, whatever they were doing, everyone floods to the gates of the city to welcome Jesus back in. The question is why? You see, everybody worships something, whatever's in the center of your life, whatever you look to for stability or for hope or to tell you it's going to be okay. Whatever you look to for meaning or for status to tell you you are somebody. Whatever that thing is in the center of your life, I would make the case that is your object of worship. The question is, is that thing noble enough? Is it strong enough? Is it beautiful enough? Is it true enough to hold you through the complexities of this life? And I would submit to you, the people in Jerusalem flocked to Jesus in awe because they realized they were in the presence of power and greatness that was good, that was good for them. They had seen kings before. They were being dominated by the Roman Empire. They know how kings use power, and Jesus is a king unlike any other. And so they give him a king's welcome. At the same time, we see that they were also, they they were right about some things and they missed a few things. They do expect that Jesus is coming as a king, but they expect him to come as a king like the ancient Israel kings came with power. And rightfully so. If he's the king, come to Jerusalem, set us free from the Roman Empire, get us out from the foot of this occupier. Except you see that Jesus doesn't come on a war horse but on a donkey. Isn't that odd to you? What do you think that means? We'll get into that later. He's a different kind of king. A king who comes in peace. A king who comes with peace not just for a select few but for everyone. And a king who comes with peace at great cost to himself. You see Other kings, Caesar, when Caesar would come to an occupied city, he would be riding on a war horse. Today, it might not be a war horse, but when Russia invaded Ukraine, they came in tanks. And this is a way of the powerful to say, look at our weaponry, look at our power, do not rebel against us, do as we say. But when Jesus comes into the city, he doesn't come with might and with power to crush from the top He comes on a harmless donkey that can do no harm. In fact, an animal that's known for its work ethic to help get good things done, to cultivate the land, to farm, to feed people. And he says, I'm a different kind of king. I don't extinguish life, I bring life. Not to push down, but to lift up. So let's look at this king who comes in peace. There's a bit of tragic irony going on here because Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. We talk about this word shalom, shalom means peace. The word literally means city of peace, Jerusalem. except it never was a city of peace. It killed the prophets, it pushed down the poor, it pushed people out. And so Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes to the city of peace that could never get peace right. It's interesting, if you go to any culture, any time zone, any group of people, we all agree that peace is an important virtue, but we cannot agree on how to achieve it. And so Jesus goes to this confused city of peace that is anything but. And part of what's exposed is they had confused the kingdom of God with their own empire, They had confused the kingdom of God with their own empire. And you can see how this happened historically. Israel received the original blessing of God in Genesis 12. And God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. They said, that's great. He said, I will bless you. They said, that's great. And he said, and through you all the nations will be blessed. And they said, we're not listening. Sorry, we didn't hear that last part. And they confused the blessing of God and the kingdom of God with their empire and began to spiritualize and get this uh, spiritual stamp of approval of any policy and whatever they did for the empire, God must be blessing it. And it imploded on them. It imploded on them and they came undone. And this is the story of the prophets in the Old Testament continuously coming back to these confused people saying, return to God. Do not confuse your ways for God's ways. Do not, re- do not confuse the empire for the kingdom of God. Return to God. And I think here's the two ways that we see that you can fall off on either side of the road. On the first hand, as we mentioned, they expected Jesus to be a king like any other king of this world, to come with power and might. And so if you really are right, then you must have might, and you have to crush the people who are wrong. The second thing, the second way they missed it in this passage is they were using religion to create an insider-outsider system so they could exploit, take advantage of, and push out the outsiders. That's why Jesus is so mad at the temple with the money changers. Because the context is, in the temple, it was set up, it was all about getting closer to God. The temple was the place where heaven and earth overlapped and interlocked. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, in that society, there were levels of closeness to God. So the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Other priests can go into a different part. The Israelite men can go in another part. Israelite women can go into another part. And there were walls separating. And then there was the court of the Gentiles. See, in the Israelite worldview, there were two ethnicities, Israelite and Gentiles. <laughs> Ethnos from which we get the word ethnicity. you were you're an Israelite or you were something else and That was the widest most far out part of the temple, but at least they had a space for them Now here's the thing if you were going to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice But you were coming from a far away foreign land you wouldn't bring your chickens or your goat You would bring money So that then you could go to the temple and exchange that money and buy an animal to participate in the sacrifice at the temple And so what's happening is the money changers are ripping off the people who are coming from far away and making money off them because they're foreigners. And it drives Jesus mad, literally. Because there is no insider and outsider, and there's certainly no room for exploitation or taking advantage of others. And he changes the whole system. Eventually, what will happen one week later when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain of the temple will be torn in two. The very thing that would show the distance and the difference between God and humanity will be torn in two, and Jesus, in effect, is saying, Now God dwells among you all the time. But you see, it's easy to see the blind spots in them. How about ourselves? In what ways do you particularly spiritualize or assume God's stamp of approval on your particular views or the way that you treat other people? We see this in politics. Both sides, the extreme one side, the extreme other side are so sure that they're right and God is on their side that the other people are idiots and it dehumanizes everybody. As we say often, Jesus isn't from the right or the left. He's from above, and he reserves the right to critique all of it. And so our response as a community is not just to go hard right or hard left, but to go deeper and have deeper conversations, deeper understanding, to put compassion, love, truth, and justice into practice, not only in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts, in all that we do. Another way we look at this as a diagnostic is if you have a vision of God, that holds all the things to be true that you hold, that hates all the people that you hate, that votes just like you vote, you probably have an image of God in your own image. So personally, that's, that's politically, that's kind of in society. Now, personally, here's the other thing. God is for you. God is for you. The result of that is not, God is for you, so do whatever you want and God will just be for you. The result of that is, God is for you, even if you are rebelling against yourself. God will step in and disrupt and call you to your truest self. To the image and likeness of God that dwells in you with honor, integrity and dignity. Where might God be calling you and pressing you in ways that are uncomfortable? Richard Rohr talks about how we don't change if we're comfortable. We are status quo kind of people and we we change most when we are pressed or pushed in discomfort. Where might God be making you uncomfortable right now to press you into a more full image of God in your life? What might it look like for you to take the first steps of obedience today and trust and allow God to override your personal preferences and goals. How might that not only be good news for you, but be good news for the world? He's a king who comes in peace, but he's also a king who comes with peace for all, not just a select few. We've already touched on this, but it bears going deeper. He says, my house is to be a place of prayer, but but you have made it a den of thieves. You are robbing people, but here's the thing. Not all the robbing takes place in the den right? It's like thieves would go out and break into something and then run back to the den. He's saying you have corrupted your spiritual practices so deeply that you feel at home when you're committing crimes against other people, when you're corrupting other people, when you're taking advantage of other people. You've gotten so complacent in your life. And he's outraged at the injustice, as we said before, because his peace is for all. Remember I told you about those different concentric walls that go out? Who's closer, who's farther? Later on, the Apostle Paul will say, in Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, he has broken down the dividing walls of hostility. And Jesus begins that breaking down right here. Now, here's the thing. That's nice in theory. But it is really difficult to live out in real life. It's far easier to be with people who are just like you. Who make a similar amount of money that you make. Because if you make a ton of money and all of your friends do, then you talk about the same level of vacations, the same vintages of wine, and your friends aren't going to ask you for anything because they're all fine too. If you hang out with people only who believe like you believe, who vote like you do, you end up in an echo chamber. That's easier because everyone agrees with you. But you know what happens. It simply reinforces and and makes concrete the verdicts that you've already passed in this world and there's no growth. But instead, we're invited. Instead of going the way of the world that's designed to store up peace for a select few at the expense of others, to live a gated community sort of life in this world. We're invited to go to them. That's the interesting thing is Jesus came to bring peace for them, whoever that they are for you, which then makes them us. This is why at Renew, our central unifying principle is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus which creates space for all sorts of differences and good conversation and disagreements while we maintain unity around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Friends, when you live that way, it gives you more growth and transformation. Like it says in the scripture, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. How does iron sharpen iron? With friction, with contact. That's how it happens. So you become transformed, you become sharpened, but the watching world sees something that's completely different. Because the watching world begins to say, this group of people and this group of people don't get together in real life, they do not mix, they're oil and water. But here, you actually love each other. The church has a gift to offer the watching world. And as we say, to become a Christian means that you are baptized into the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're baptized into the church community. You live into your identity as a beloved child of God and simultaneously, you're baptized into a much bigger family of all the other Christians who have gone before us and are here now. And so you end up with brothers and sisters that are different from you that you would have never chosen if it was up to you. And it's for your own good. friends, this is the harder way to live. This is the deeper way to live. Jesus is a king, but he's a king unlike any other, and he comes to bring peace for all. So the question is, who are you invited to go out to this week? What would it look like for you to expand your empathic circle just one degree, just a little more? And here's the thing about comfort zones, is when you step out of your comfort zone, if you do it enough, what you realize is your comfort zone has expanded. You become literally a more expansive person. What would it look like for you to take that step this week? He's also a king who comes to bring peace at great cost to himself. In the Roman Empire, in its heyday and season of flourishing that lasted a long time, what was it known as? The Pax Romana. The Roman peace. And the way it worked was, Rome had conquered so many different people, subjugated them, assimilated them, rode into the capitals on war horses, and said, hey, no fighting in the sandbox. If you fight with each other, off with your heads, you are out of here and everyone stayed peaceful. It was peace at the tip of a spear. It was peace that was enforced by violence. And Jesus is a king unlike any other king, because he brings peace at great cost to himself. One of the things I invite you to reflect on in this passage is this very crowd of people who have dropped everything to greet him at the city gate and are shouting, Hosanna in the highest, which is what the people would shout when God finally gets involved and makes all things right. They're shouting, they're worshiping him. This is the same crowd of people who on Good Friday will be shouting, crucify him. Behold the fickleness of the human heart. Behold how quickly we turn. And Jesus knows that about us. And still he walks right toward us, calls us to himself. And so on one hand, pastorally, I will say, when you observe your own fickleness, your own ability to wander, that staggers even you and the people around you, on one hand, you take it seriously because he's calling you toward himself. On the other hand, you remember his grace is always greater than your ability to sin. The king of peace comes to you. And on the cross, he has taken the weight and the cost of all of that brokenness, all of that betrayal, and he takes it upon himself. All that injustice and brokenness and violence crashes like a wave on Jesus on the cross and he takes it to the very bottom. And in doing so, he deals a death blow to death itself. He recycles the violence of this world into new life. We know how the violence of this world works. It has been going around and around since humans have begun keeping accounts of their lives. An eye for an eye, as Gandhi said, only makes the whole world blind, and yet we cannot stop poking each other in the eye. And so Jesus, this great king that comes with peace at a cost on the cross as he's being ridiculed, betrayed, and tortured, instead of saying, I'm going to get you guys. You are going to be so sorry. Instead of throwing a lightning bolt at them from the cross, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus takes our sin and brokenness, our betrayal and violence and recycles it into forgiveness at cost to himself. And so there's a new way forward, a new calling, Altogether. To follow Jesus means to live a cross shaped life that can face, name the brokenness of this world. Not call evil good, but not be overrun by it, not participate in it. To move toward enemies, or at least to move toward people that are different than you. To begin to have grace on yourself and then grace on the other people around you. May we be the people this week who see Jesus the King coming into the city. A King of peace. A King of peace for all. A King who brings peace by giving His life for us. And may we go forward to live that cross-shaped life as a people who are taken and blessed and broken and poured out on behalf of this world. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you would fill us with your spirit, convince us of your love for us, and that you would give us a moment of truth to be honest about the ways that we wander and so on one hand praise you, worship you, and on the other hand, are ready to scream crucify him one week later. The fickleness of our own hearts, the brokenness of this world, you see it all and you come to us. And so help us to receive you, the true king of peace, into our lives and into our world, and give us the grace to embody that peace wherever we go. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.